want to just thank you so much for your love over us. We thank you for your continuing grace that you are releasing upon us. Thank you for our times together from Tuesday, yesterday, and again today. We pray that the truth that you've given us over these last few days will be truth that will be permanent, abiding, and remain in us, that will guide us in these weeks, months, and years to come. We thank you for your unction and your anointing that's upon us. We receive you with open hands, and we thank you for your blessings upon us, our households, our ministries, and everything we lay our hands upon. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, for the next few minutes, we're going to spend the time to return to the theme of entering into the rest of God. And uh, perhaps tomorrow morning during the final sessions, I want to touch on something that Dr. Yenko just mentioned to me a few minutes ago uh, as regards to inheritance as we, as we get ready to do our wills for those of you that are looking forward to do your will. And for the rest of us who wants to revise the words we already have. I think very, very important information that they just passed on to me that I think would be helpful to everybody else. But I've been calling Dr. McHenby for the last couple of days, actually before this meeting started, because I wanted him to be aware of some things I'm going to be talking about. And as a father to me, I wanted to give him the opportunity to straighten me out if you will, if I needed to be straightened out. So we've been playing phone tags and missing one another. And so finally he called me this morning, and that's why I exited the room when one of the sessions was going on. And we just had a little chit-chat, and I just brought him up to speed as to what I'm teaching, based on what I'm hearing. And when I told him, I said, listen, this is what's going on, and I laid it out before him. I said, I'm open to your scrutiny and even rebuke. Maybe I ate too much pizza and all these revelations coming out of <laughs> Pixar Heart or Dominion. <laughs> Dominoes. And before I could finish what I was saying, he said, stop it right there. You are right on. And for the next 15 minutes, he pitched me on grace. Amazingly. So, Bible faith, I'm telling you now, next month when we come over to, uh, to Maryland, if you don't want the message, don't let us come. Because Dr. Hamby has nothing else in his mouth. And the, and the reason I'm saying this is because really, he began all of this. Unknowingly. When he brought the message to us on the prayer of love, that's when the seed was deposited without me really realizing or, or knowing it. And as the seed of love ruminates and you keep on praying about the love of God, that one thing led to the other, to the other, and here we are. Now, having said that, let me also say this. Please remember I said to you on Tuesday, I have had several months to process this message that you may not have had. So be fair to yourself. Don't beat yourself up, number one. Don't feel like you have to embrace this message today. No. It does, I mean, you don't have to. I don't want you to feel like you have to labor too hard to say, I have to receive it because Pastor Bank. No, 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 no. I've had plenty of time to process it. I understand that. And I know how radically different it is from what we've been used to hearing. So I'm saying to you, I'm allowing you, I'm giving you the, uh, the room to disagree with me. It will not hurt me one iota. Because as we just heard, I am playing to the audience of one. I have to be able to go to bed at night knowing that I've done the will of God. And secondly, I have to be prepared to see God knowing that what is given to me, I've given it. That is my security. That is my assurance. Yes, it'd be wonderful if we embrace and receive it. Absolutely. But I'm also saying to you, you have the liberty 
and the freedom to disagree. Amen? Absolutely. I want to make sure you understand that. I'm not going to force feed you. But I have a responsibility like Apostle Paul before God. I will not shun to give you the whole counsel of the word of God. That's where I am with this. And so, having said that, I, in fact, Dr. Hamid, so in, in, in the few minutes we spoke, he quickly, after affirming the message and preaching a little bit more to me, he quickly also reminded me, Mr. Bank, people will fight you on this. That's why he's parting words to me. He said, people will fight you on this. So, uh, you know, I, I understand that. Uh, he perhaps understands that more than I do because perhaps he's seen some things I have not seen. Uh, but I'm just saying to you, I have my armor on. I have it on. You know, so, having said that, First Corinthians chapter 5. Let's make a little more progress this afternoon. And uh, again, I just want to remind us, for 32 years, I was a champion and a debater over this issue. That was what I did. But thank God for revelation knowledge. And the power of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Now, I went to this passage because for most of us, if we want to be really honest the bigger issue we have about heaven and sinners or people that we think or presume sin being able to go to heaven. If we really want to be honest, our biggest problem is sexual immorality. First thing people will tell you is, you mean fornicators will go to heaven? You mean adulterers will go to heaven? For some reason, we are helping God to qualify sins sex or sexual sin for some reason is more or bigger or has a bigger punishment than deception than lying than anger and all of those things so since this is the major issue for us I want to use this as a launching pad to developing this message a little more and let me just say to you Right off the bat, of course, sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Sinners are not going there. Sinners are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. I can tell you that with that qualification up front. The challenge is my perception of a person and God's perception. God made it clear in 1 Samuel when Samuel the prophet was about to anoint the next king of Israel. He saw one of Jesse's sons. Said, ah, surely the anointing is on this one. And God is horn of all was going to anoint him. And God said, no, 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 don't do that. He went to the next one down the line and God stopped him. And he went to the next one and God stopped him. He said, wait a minute, God. I mean, listen, how many kids does this man have? You are disqualifying everyone I see so who is this person? God made a statement that I believe each one of us needs to really take to heart. What did God say? He said, man sees the outer appearance. But God does what? Looks into the heart. Now, is there anybody here in this room this morning, this afternoon, that can see the heart of man? First of all, thank you so much for the sharing of what you shared. The woman of God shared with us just a moment ago how she raised her kids well and the kids had the appearance 
of everything being honky dory, nice and all right. Only for the child to tell her later that she was it was hardened. Could she have seen that? Did she know that? If she was to make a judgment, her judgment is check. Everything is fine. Whereas with God, he whom man approved, God disapproves. But conversely, he whom man disapproves, God approves. So I'm saying to us, as in the words of Jesus, John chapter 7, verse 24, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Appearance will deceive all of us. Amen? So back to 1 Corinthians. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. That a man has his father's wife. Can it get any worse than that? I mean, I, I mean there are sexual vices but for crowd loud. Can it get any worse than when a man takes his own father's wife and sleeps with her? Verse 2. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For indeed, no, sorry, for I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present. Him who has done this deed Verse 4, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, how should we deal with this kind of person? Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, did Bank Akimala say this? And I hope everybody understands my heart. I am definitely not advocating for careless, riotous, sinful living. Absolutely not. But what I'm saying to us is we need to be true to the text of scriptures. And be open to what God is saying to us. Clearly in this Corinthian church, these were believers. And a person whose case came to Paul was a believer who has done this horrible, nasty thing. But the apostle did not bring up the right and said, you will not go to heaven. That's not what he said. He said, deliver such a one to Satan. So Satan can deal with their flesh. But he affirmed something for us here. That the spirit will be saved. Now, can we argue with this? Can it get any clearer than this? Oh, you scholars, you are quiet. Why are you quiet now? Now, I know that this presents a challenge for all of us. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. For some of us. 32 years ago, it was a challenge for me, but not today. Because now, I have a much clearer understanding of salvation and redemption. Let me just establish some things and then uh, we'll come back to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I really think there are two issues that we are confusing as one. And I'm praying that God will help me this afternoon 
to bring a little clarity and understanding and we will dialogue and perhaps in the multitude of counsel there will be safety and we all learn a little more. Amen? But there's clearly two issues we confuse. With regards to salvation, there are two distinct processes in our redemption. Two clearly distinct that we miss up. Notice now 1 Corinthians passage in chapter 5, verse 5. Paul said it would turn over the individual to Satan. For what to be destroyed? The flesh. Second cannot, Satan cannot destroy the spirit of a believer. You, you need to resolve that now. Take that off the table. Satan, the spirit of a saved man is off limits. Put that away. So Paul said they would turn that individual over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that that spirit will be saved until or in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So clearly, Paul introduces something to us here that we need to pay attention to. And I really believe we know this thing, but somehow, like the people were saying on the video we saw on the family, we are not connecting the dots. That's the problem. We know the, once I share this with you now, all, everybody, we know it. But we're just not connecting the dots. That's what's creating the problem. Everybody in this room know that we are tripartite. We are spirits. We have a soul. And we live in the body. So you need to understand that distinction right off the bat. We are spirits, we have soul, and we live in a body. And so when you look at salvation and redemption, you must look at it from that perspective. Otherwise, you are going to end up with the wrong equation. Now, keep that thought. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Look at what it says. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. He's not asking for my opinion, he's telling me something. Verse 22. Who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a what? What is a guarantee? Please, can somebody define a guarantee for me? All you lawyers, scholars, Bible students. What's a guarantee? Assurance. Now, when you hear that word guarantee, don't think of this uh, General Motors warranty. That's not... He has given us, first of all, he did something. He sealed us. Sealed. So if I'm sealed, what can unseal it? God, we are told. God sealed us. So what now? Can you help me understand? If God sealed me, what phenomenon? Which human being or what demonic force can undo what God has done? Can somebody please help me? You see, religion and what religion has taught us is the one that's mitigating against us being open to receive what God is saying to us. Because when we look at these things, it's too obvious, it's too clear. I mean, the Bible said God sealed us. So if God sealed me and something can unseal that, what makes you think you make heaven then? Because if God sealed me, 
and we are suggesting that someone or something can unseal that, then that, that in itself should let you know you can't trust this God. It'd be foolish for you to have faith in a God who sealed you and then someone or something comes behind him and unseal it. Which heaven are you going to then? You must well take the heaven out of your table. It's not on your table. If someone can come behind God and undo what he has done, and remove the guarantee that God gave, then God is not trustworthy. We can have it both ways. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Let me just build it a little bit and Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13, Ephesians 1, verse 13. It says, in him, talking about Christ, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having what? Ah. You remember all day Tuesday we kept on talking about believing? Here it is again. Okay? In whom also having believed, what happened after you believed? You were sealed with the what? Holy Spirit of promise. The moment you believed, you were sealed. Oh, not with the wax that's made in China. You are not sealed with a glue, that uh, super glue that they buy in Home Depot. No. No, that's not what I'm reading here. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. If this seal can be tampered with, then the Holy Spirit is not reliable. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? I mean, on and on and on. It, it, is, so, it is so obvious and it is so clear. Uh, let me read another scripture and then I'm going to advance this some. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And again, again, remember, like I said, I've had plenty of time to process this. And so be fair to yourselves and give yourself some time, okay? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here in this Thessalonian passage, Paul introduces to us again the notion of the tripartite of man. The spirit, the soul, and the body. Let's start to bring all of this together now. I said there are two keys in our redemption and our salvation that we are confusing back and forth. First key, when a person hears the gospel message, 
and they receive and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In that instant, they are saved, but it only satisfies one part of the equation. That transaction where a believer gets born again, saved, and sealed immediately is called justification. Justification. Justification happens or we receive justification or we are justified simply by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 is full of that. Maybe we should read one of, one of the scriptures. Romans chapter 5. Verse 16, Romans 5, 16. It says, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from, the, from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in what? Notice what it says. It did not result in sanctification, but what? Justification. Okay? Let me jump. Verse 18. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, my goodness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to how many men? All men. Resulting in what? Justification of life. There are many more verses that talks about our redemption through the blood wherein we, we are justified. But let me just stop here for one minute. What does the word justified mean? Or justification? Made righteous. Thank you. Pardon me? Just as if you never offended. Ah! Somebody give her a dollar for me. <laughs> We are joking. We are laughing here, but this is serious business. This is serious business. When you read the context of that passage in Romans chapter 5, we have a court case here, you all. We have here, potentially, the state of Florida versus Casey Anthony. She's been charged for murder. And the case is presented before the court. Prosecution has presented an airtight case. All kinds of evidence on display in the courtroom. The first attorney rebuffed all of them. And now the case rests and goes to the jury. In the meantime, another parallel court is playing. 
the court of public opinion. We are over 85% of Americans overwhelmingly based on what they've seen, the appearance of the case. Said Casey Anthony, you are not only guilty, we should fry you. But the jury returned a verdict. And the verdict was not guilty. In that instant, the judge, in spite of his bias or prejudice or how he thinks or how he feels or what the public opinion was saying, has no other option but to issue and declare that Casey Anthony is justified. Acquitted, discharged, not guilty. Going back to the definition as if she never offended. So now, a week later, two weeks later, two months later, two years later, she's messing up, hoying around, doing things we don't like, doing things that's unseemly for a good woman, and we're saying, this woman, she's, I knew she was guilty. She's lousy. Can they try her again for the same case? Why are we continuing to bring people to the same court where God has already said they are not guilty? If our civil courts have enough sense to recognize double jeopardy, What do you think God? In fact, where do, I, where do we get the civil justice from? <laughs> where do we get it from? So the issue of justification is a clear-cut, simple issue. It's not a matter of what I think or what you think or what they did or what they didn't do. None of that. The issue is it's a free gift to those who believe. Now, it would have been a different thing if you were God. You may have a different standard. But thank God, the last time I checked, your name is not G-O-D and you are not the landlord of heaven. So get off your throne. You are not on the throne. So justification is a one size fit all. That one side is one size is believing on the name of the Lord Jesus. End of story. Either you've believed or you have not. Now. Second Timothy makes it clear. God says he knows those who are his. That's the other side of that equation. There are a lot of people that's parading and confessing and professing to be believers. They are not believers. End of story. Period. And so we see those people who profess to be believers, who are not believers, doing certain things, and we say, ah, no, uh, you, 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 you've lost your salvation. No, there's no such thing. I'm extremely ashamed that for 32 years, I bought that lie. But I cannot do anything about my past. I can only ride into my future. This is what makes it good news. There is nothing good about the news we, we are carrying. Where we offer people salvation today and take it away tomorrow. What is good about that? There, there is nothing good about that. Because if that is what we believe, then we are back to the Old Testament. 
nothing good about that. Now, you say, but pastor, I know believers who have truly believed who are sinning. You are talking now about a different issue entirely. Justification is one thing. There's only one requirement for that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That has nothing to do with the life thereafter. Nothing to do with the life post there being born again. Now, life or living beyond being born again is a totally separate case. And what happens there is the issue of sanctification. Two different concepts, two different remedies. Oh my God, please hear this. You are not sanctified because you plead the blood. You are only justified by the blood, but the means of sanctification is a totally different issue. Sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. Amen. <laughs> comes through the washing of the water by the word. So I'm delivered by the power of the blood, but I'm growing and I'm increasingly becoming sanctified. Sanctification is looking like God. I'm becoming more transformed into the image of God. How does that happen? It's, it's not going to happen by the blood. It happens by how I embrace and obey the word of God. Two different issues. So what happens is, we see a man or a woman who, is born, who was born again. They are not reading their Bibles. They are not obeying the word of God. They are not growing the things of God. They are falling back doing sins. And because of what we see them doing, we now immediately judge their sanctification by justification. Confused. We are confused. A person may not be growing. They may not be uh, developing spiritually as they should. They may in fact be insane. The, what is at question is not their justification, but their sanctification. We are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. Okay, let's break it down. Let's unpack it. When I got born again, who, which part of me was born again? Absolutely. My spirit. And when I die, my spirit joins God. Absolutely. Now, before I became born again, I've had 35 years of career as a sinner. That's 35 years of my spirit, my soul, and my body given over to sin. So, on the 35th birthday, I get born again. Bam! In that instant, my spirit is recreated, is renewed, because the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, it's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I've become instantly recreated with the very spirit of God, by the spirit of God. I'm justified. So my spirit man settled for time and eternity. However, because of 35 years of sinful living, the day I got born again and my spirit man 
was recreated, my soul did not get the memo. The memo to my soul was returned undeliverable. Because my soul don't want to hear that at all. What do you mean? We've been sitting together for 35 years now. We're going to get a divorce? So the residue of that sinful lifestyle remains and is manifesting through my flesh because only my spirit man was changed. My soul and my flesh was not changed. So if you love chasing women when you are a sinner, guess what will happen when you get born again? If God don't help you, and there are some instances where God delivers people from various things, healings of all kinds, happens at salvation many, many, many different times. But I'm telling you the norm. The norm is because of the sinful lifestyle that we had, the residue remains. The appetite for it remains. You can go to the doctor and say, well, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm 900 pounds uh, and I want a surgery to cut me up so I can reduce my weight. When the surgeon does that, your appetite for hamburger, does it remove? You still love hamburgers. You still love fried chicken. You still love pizza. The appetite remains. So even though my spirit man has been saved, my soul is saying, my God, I need a woman tonight. I need alcohol tonight. I need dope tonight. I need something. And if you are not quickening yourself and renewing your mind... In the word of God, you find yourself doing those things again because even though your spirit is saved, your soul is not saved. <laughs> Hello, somebody. That's why James says, I believe James chapter 1, I think verse 21, talks about, how does that scripture start? Uh, pardon me? Say it again there. Yes, yes, yes. But, oh, thank you. Earlier I said all faithfulness and superfluity of naughtiness and with meekness I embrace or receive the engrafted word of God. Which, which is able to do what? Save. Not to save your spirit. Your spirit is already saved. Oh, that's your spirit is a done deal. Your spirit is a done deal. And your flesh or your body is just an avenue to express what your spirit is doing or what your soul is doing. They have no choice. They just, they just follow along. So our journey and our struggle is to bring a conformity within the spirit and the soul. And the degree to which I become proficient reading the word of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me and yielding to the Holy Spirit and, 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 and doing the things of God. To that degree, even my soul now begins to be wind, W-E-A-N-D, wind away from those soulish, wicked, evil practices. Yeah. So when God is seeing Dr. Norfolk or Pastor Bode, which, what, what, do you, what, what do you think he's seeing? Same spirit. You are looking from the outer court, looking at their body. You said, if you saw that guy, he said he's a Christian, but if you just see what he does, he cannot speak the truth. He drinks alcohol, chases women, smokes dope. You already have a plot for them in hell. You, you, you've marked their plot in hell. Say, this guy is going straight, express train to hell. And you do not know the work that God has done in their spirit. So are we saying that sin should abound, that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Absolutely resounding not. No. That's not what we're saying. 
I'm just trying to explain to us the process of salvation. And the reason this is important is, if you don't understand the harmony of scriptures or how God has constructed our redemption, you will forever be finding one scripture here, one scripture there, arguing this one and arguing this one, and you will be taught, you just you just miss it. That's what I did for 32 years. I did not connect the dot, knowing the plan of God and how the kingdom of God is put together. And you just get this one scripture, that one scripture, and you debate and argue to no end, and it brings no edification. Instead, it brings strife, it brings division, and people fight one another to no end. Hello. I think, that, I think that's enough. Is that enough? <laughs> it's 510. Let us... Uh, do we have clear understanding? Do we have an understanding? Yeah, go ahead. Do we, ha- do we have... G- get the mic. Yeah. Do, you have any under- do we have a better understanding of what this thing is all about? Let me say this and then, Dr. Nofeke, I'm going to give you the mic. If... Hear this. Oh, this is good. This is good. Let me read the scripture, then I'm going to make the point. Then I'm going to sit down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. You need to underline that in your Bible. Please help me underline that in your Bible. And that not of yourselves. Okay? It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh my God. If I didn't do anything to earn salvation, how can I do something to lose it? I don't think you guys have the question I just posed to you. Not of yourselves. You did not do iota. Not one thing to gain your salvation. Why do you now think you can do something to lose it? Heaven will not be by your works. It will be by your being. You go to heaven because you've become, become, be, be, you have become the child of God. It's not going to be by what you do or don't do. (laughs) Does that make any sense? Oh my gosh, I've lost everybody here. Yes. So how can we reconcile the scripture that says work out your salvation with You see that? That's a, that's a good question. But I'm, I really want to give Dr. Anofiok the, the floor. The question she's, she's asking is, how do we reconcile the scripture that says work out your salvation? With fear and trembling. Now, based on what you know now, let me, ask, let me answer that question with another question. Do you think Paul is saying you can earn your salvation? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's just merely saying to us, what you receive by faith, through grace, leave it out. Leave it out. Leave it out. You didn't earn it, therefore you cannot lose it. You didn't do anything to get it. So I cannot do anything to lose it. It makes sense to me. That's why it's such a good news. Now, am I saying it's good news because I'm going to go out and be a fool and act a fool out there and get drunk and, and absolutely not. It makes me run more towards Jesus and embrace him. I say, man, let me give you a holy kiss. Thank you 
for settling this for me once and for all. Over to you, sir. Yeah, the, the, the passage uh, uh, Sister mentioned, which is uh, walking out of salvation with fear and trembling, I, I think we always stop there. But the very next verse says that, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to do of his own good pleasures. I think that place is saying that, that you cannot really do it. It is God who is doing it. And so we have to rely on him. Um, it is interesting, Pastor, that you uh, brought up the issue of the tripartite being that we are, that we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Now, if a salvation package has to be complete, and I know that is complete, it has to embrace our spirit, our soul, and our body and the salvation package is complete. Because for our spirit, we have been justified. So that takes care of our spirit. For our soul, we are being sanctified. Then how about our bodies? Because Paul says that sin is present in our bodies, not in our soul, not in our spirit. He says that sin is, this is um, Romans 7, that sin is present in our body. So the issue now is the presence of sin. So what has God done to take care of our body? And that is a glorification. Because there are three aspects of salvation. The justification, the sanctification, and then the glorification. The glorification is the aspect when our bodies will be free of sin. And when will that happen? When we have lost this body, we've lost the body. Because the main thing is that the sin issue is in our brain. When we die, the brain is dead. And then we are now resurrected. The old brain is no longer there. You have new thoughts, a new mind. Everything about sin is no longer there. So you are now glorified. In fact, Paul says that, that we have already been glorified. God sees us as glorified beings. He sees us as glorified. He sees us as glorified. And so the package of God's salvation is so complete. It has taken care of our spirit, has taken care of our soul, and has also taken care of our body, which is the presence of sin. Because when we are glorified, then sin is no more. Sir, um, I just wanted to uh, make a comment. I, I used to watch uh, court TVs and all of that, and uh, there's a particular thing about gifts that I come to realize now that uh, in law, uh, legally, a gift that is complete, which means if I promise that I'm going to give you $10 for so-so thing, if I've not given it to you, then you have no right to it. But as soon as I release it to you, it's a complete, it's done. Then I have no claim over it again. So there's no court I will say, okay, because I have completed it. Now back to what you were saying, which gives me some uh, sort of uh, revelation about my salvation. You know, I am such a person that sometimes I'm an introspect kind of person. I like to, first of all, start with myself, begin to beat myself up before anybody else does. So as oftentimes I see myself when I yell while I'm driving and I sort of somebody maybe try to give me a finger and I react in a such a way, I begin to condemn myself and say, oh. And the uh, devil will be bringing the thought back that uh, you, you thought you were saved, you were not. You are not actually saved. So that is to tell me that uh, it's been done once and it's completed. And I, have, I sort of have a joy in that to, to know now with the knowledge that I have that uh, I've been saved, my spirit is saved, that is settled. So now my soul and my body has to catch up where my spirit is, which is, uh, which is so enlightening to me. That's just what I want to... Amen. Thank you. All right. Now, even with all of this, there are still many very difficult passages in the scriptures in light of this 
truth. I don't want to sweep those under the carpet. I don't want to ignore them. I don't want to say they're not there or pretend that they're not there. They are there. And uh, God helping us, we can explain them or talk about them. But it's, it's just very important uh, that we don't read meanings into the scripture, but rather allow scriptures to give us its own meaning. Amen? So, um, um, I, I want to... I want to build on something that was brought up yesterday that we answered, but I also want to build on that a little bit. I think Pastor Amari brought up a scripture in Isaiah 58 or 59 uh, that talks about separation from, from God. And the truth of the matter is, when a believer sins, there may be a separation. Hear what I'm about to say. But it is never a separation from God to man, but from man to God. Adam sinned. Who am I to seek Adam? Let's go. Let's let's build. Let's let's escalate it. Cain was a murderer. Who am I to him? In both instances, Adam sinned and went and hid. And of course. He led his family as a devil. So Cain, his son, knew what the father did. And when he killed Abel, what did he do? He disappeared. He did exactly what Adam did. But in each instance, men ran away from God. But God still had the ability and the disposition to pursue them. Now, why do we run from God? It's not because God wants to kill us, destroy us, or punish us. No. It's simply the human guilt. And the condemnation. I'm so unworthy. I've blown it. And on our own, we pull back. We pull back. God, don't believe that. If God can talk to an ass... When his prophet was not hearing. So you think something can separate you from God? I showed it to you on Tuesday. Scriptures from Romans chapter 8. Paul cataloged it. Nothing shall ever be able to separate from the love of God. It's not going to happen. As long as you are part of God's creation. But you though, Because of your humanity. When sin happens. And when you do things that you know is wrong. You pull away. And look at the human experience. Husband and wife, parents and children. It happens every day. Every day. Sometimes that's how you know something is wrong in the house. You get home, your wife is quiet. You get home, your husband is quiet. You get home, the kids are not making their regular noise. Ah, you know something has happened. That's the flag. These kids are not doing what they normally would do. What's going on? Then you start, you start inquiring. What happened? Are you guys all right? How was school today? How was your play? How was this? And then somewhere along the line, you ask long enough questions, you get an answer. So I just want to make sure I make that clear. There may be a separation, but usually it's between us. And when we get into the book of John tomorrow morning, you see clearly. God is going to pursue you like you've never seen before. He's going to... What, what, Look at the history with Israel. If God should have dumped those guys and you guys, man, you know what? It's over. Kept on sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. Why? He has a vested, vested interest in them and in you as well. Amen? Uh, a, a question was, a, a scripture was brought to me yesterday morning uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. Actually, verse 14. He said, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursue peace or follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
How do we read that? Is this a warning from Paul that without peace and without holiness in the strictest meaning that the person will be lost eternally? Is that what that scripture is saying? I just want to hear the various thoughts in the house. <laughs> Get a mic. Why are you shaking your head? <laughs> it's obvious that you, you can lose your salvation, but there's still a responsibility as a believer of what we should do uh, to all everyone we get in contact with. Uh, I think it's just it's, it's a responsibility in our spirit, in our soul, in our mind to want to do that which he would do which is pursue peace. Okay. We are holy not because of what we do, we are holy because of what he did. Absolutely. The righteousness of him, uh, the holiness that we can present, uh, because once we turn to our own holiness, then it becomes works. Yeah. And it becomes something we can boast on. Correct. But we do it because that's what we have learned to do. Amen. All right. Thanks. Thanks for that. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Anybody uh, else? Yes. Yeah, uh, Yes, Pastor. I, I would go back to our, our school of thought, if you will. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and I would say that without holiness, we couldn't see him. We talk about we love his appearing. And God is always appearing. Correct. But whether we're in position to see him. Correct. When he appears. Correct. It's a whole different ballgame. Correct. So that's taking us into the third dimension. Correct. To where he's reigning. Correct. And where we should reign as kings and priests. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you all hear what he said? Okay. Ed, Tonya, you had something? That's, that's, what, that's where I was going. It, it was, to me, it seemed more like a lens where um, if you pursue peace and holiness, God and his instructions will become more in focus. Absolutely. Because you have to read the verses above that. Yeah. Leading up to that. You have to read the verses up, uh, up above that. What everybody said is, is good and correct. Verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Semicolon. It even, it's not a full stop. Is it a full stop? So it's not, the sentence is not finished. Looking carefully. Verse 15 actually answers verse 14. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. So the issue is, if I'm not working, if I'm not at peace, Relationships are fractured. I've not ministered forgiveness, as we just heard. Okay? And I'm trying to get answers. I'm praying. I want to get solutions for certain things. It's not that God is not seeing me, but I'm not seeing what he has available for me. Because the moment I step out of grace and I begin uh, to get into strife and all of these things that's, not, that's acrimonious and there's no peace, the grace is there, but I can see it. I'm blinded to it. Just as in Matthew chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 8, I think it is, blessed are the pure in spirit, for they shall what? See God. Is he talking about heaven? No. No. We see him heaven, but do you need to see him today? Absolutely. <laughs> do you need to see him tomorrow? Yes. Do you need to see him next week? Yes. It's available. But by mere taking myself out of alignment and make it that much difficult for me to see him in my situation. 
to see the manifestation of his grace in a particular situation. Amen? All right. If there be no more questions, uh, one last thing I just want to pass out to you guys. No, actually. Yes. And then we'll be on our way. This is merely just an announcement of some things that's coming up. Ah, you guys have been so good. It's 5.30. We started at 9.30 this morning. Give yourselves a, a shout. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Two and possibly three meetings that's coming up that I just, I just want to intimate you guys with. Uh, August 8th through the 10th, Bible Faith Church in Maryland, uh, Bishop Adeoye is going to be hosting Dr. McHamby. As many of us, I can make a show there to support the meeting. I want to encourage us. Let's do so. Uh, and then September 13th and 14th, Dr. Hamby will be here on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, for our friends in the ministries, that Saturday meeting will be a good one for you guys to show up in. Let's have a great time. And we can have Q&As, all the questions that I cannot answer, the ones you cannot answer, we put him on the spot and let him answer them for us. And if you cannot, we go to the Holy Ghost. There's a third possible date from Warner Robbins. We're working on that. Also for Dr. Dr. Hamby, just so you guys are aware. But I just want to encourage you guys uh, that uh, this is going to happen. Amen? Okay. Can we just stand up again? And let's just symbolically embrace God by stretching up our hands and just give God a good hug. Ah. <laughs> Amen. We love you, God. Thank you so much for loving us. Refresh us, Father, as we go tonight. We thank you for your love. We bless your name for what you've taught us in Jesus' name. Amen. Love all of you. See you tomorrow morning. What time tomorrow is, ma'am? 9.30 tomorrow. And tomorrow is going to be half a day. Because we want you guys to rest and get ready to dance tomorrow night at the gala. We're going to have a party. We're going to party. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. <laughs>